0: It's time for the show that brings the magic right to your speakers. Ears up. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Ears up. We are back. And uh, let me tell you, the, the the week that I've had in the studio is like, I thought my audio problems were done. And, uh, you know, I got that nice Rodecaster and I was, I was ready to go. And then the thing started fritzing out on me. And my brain has been scrambled. I get so scrambled with these kind of like audio issues. And I just so I, anyway, I, there's a, I'm There's a thin rambling.
1: tendril of smoke rising up next to you. <laughs> Can you hit it with a shoe right now?
0: I feel exhausted because it's like these are these are problems routing audio that I haven't had to think about in, you know, what uh, two years, three years or whatever since I got that. And I thought everything was done. But the problem with digital stuff is that sometimes the screen flickers and you can't trust if it's going to record at all or crash <laughs> in the middle of a show and you need to replace it. You need to get rid of it because you can't trust it, it is untrustworthy equipment at that point. And that you can't, I, I can't have, I can't have that.
2: Well, and I think even more I'm to annoyed. the point, it did absolutely shut off and you could not turn it on and you couldn't yeah. even get your in-depth show for a while. <laughs> so
1: terrifying. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I mean, once you got it back on, yeah, that trust is just dead.
0: Yeah. And the people at rode, they're in Australia, I think. So you get one email from them at eight o'clock at night and that's it. You don't get a second email today.
1: I mean, you could they, stay up later.
0: I did. Oh. And I was like, hey, <laughs> is there any way that I can like get on a live chat? Because I have three shows to record this week. And he was like, no, we don't actually have that. But, you know, oh. you want us to look <laughs> at tried. it. Yeah, I want you to look at it, homie. <laughs> this is an expensive machine. I need this. So I had to like go out and buy a, a secondary, like a am back to the analog, like with the dials and everything, running cables, trying to figure it out. But with my friggin' computer being what it is, it's it, the, the amount of inputs and outputs is just all boring stuff. But it's such a pain to get everything to work right the way that I do things. It's not like a normal podcast where you're just recording and then you add everything in post and you, you kind of do whatever we're live because I like that live interaction. I like the chat room stuff. I, I like having audio. I like being able to play that stuff and I can't do it
1: right now. <clears throat>
0: I just can't do it. So well, here we are. Here, Thomas in the chat
1: is offering uh, uh, Thomas. Who's in Australia is offering to be your middleman. <laughs> uh,
0: if you want to Thomas. Yes, dude. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, I don't know. He also had
2: the great idea that we should um, have one of these companies sponsor the show. Oh, sure. Yeah. Then we can just get it free. But then we have to talk about how great it is. And that's going to be the hard part. Sure.
0: Well, <laughs> well, mainly you we have to share our listener numbers. And, you know, Sennheiser or we're, uh, we're, Behringer isn't going to touch us.
2: We're
1: just, just a skosh under 20,000. Sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, if you want proof of that. Well, I'm sorry. I can't provide t- that to you at this time. Oh,
1: because my <laughs> yeah. because my mixing board is on fire. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but
0: anyway, uh, we have a great show for you today. We have the history of Mr. Toad's Wild Ride in Disneyland. And uh, I did a lot of research on it. It's like half about the man who designed it, uh, Bill Martin. And the other half is about the ride. I mean, the ride is the ride. There's not a whole lot of like real history to it. It hasn't really been, it's been touched like twice, Uh, but it's still fascinating information. I have like seven pages to go through and a couple cool Walt quotes and a couple things about Walt and about park on opening day. And, you know, just kind of like little, uh, little nuggets of information. But uh, this was pretty cool. It was a fun, it was a fun little experiment because I love toads. Oh yeah. I think toads is a great ride and a lot of people poo poo it and I don't understand why I really don't, I don't get it.
1: I'm, I'm delighted every time because I come from a Walt Disney World background where it was the greatest ride ever created, uh, in my opinion, and at least I get a taste of it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You still have an inferior uh, toad at Disneyland. Uh, I shouldn't call it inferior.
2: It <laughs> yeah. It exists.
0: Right, yeah, it's uh, better than the yeah. one you have right now in Disney World.
1: Yeah, which is, yeah. Which is a Winnie the Pooh ride. Which is That's, Winnie the oh, Pooh, right? right. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah I was right. going to say, there isn't one there. No, not anymore.
1: Oh, okay. They, they yeah. turned half of it into a gift shop, so, you know. Uh, I mean, whatever. it was a lot of real
0: estate, you know, and they, they looked at it, and they're like, wow, wow, we could really pack a lot of souvenirs in this. Wow, Taryn blinded herself. <laughs> wow, look at that. There you <laughs> go. Yeah. Listen to the
1: Supreme Resort. We did a whole thing, a whole really weird thing on Halloween about okay. uh, the okay. Walt Disney World toad. There you go. You can do that.
0: And if you want to go to Disney World and you can lay flowers at the site of the former toad ride, you can book your trip <laughs> with Consie Ears. You go to Concyears.com today and figure out the best ways to go to the parks, which is to have somebody else plan it for you. Honestly, that's what we all kind of want. We want to be able to go because the, the parks have made it so hard. Bob Iger has made it so impossible. Oh, To yeah. figure out how to book a trip. All Bob. Just don't do it. It's like with me and my audio. If I could, if I could, if someone would go, hey, brother, let me plan all this for you. You just pay the money. I would go, yes. Are you going to charge me for that opportunity? And they would say, no, I would say then double yes. And that's the same (laughs) thing as concierge. They don't charge extra for it. They don't charge any extra to help you plan your vacation. But if you want help uh, making reservations, navigating Genie Plus, getting park reservations, all of that kind of stuff, they do it all for you and it's for free. So check them out, concierge.com. And in fact, you know, I've been talking about doing these giveaways. I, I, I meant to like solidify all that this week, but I had to, you know, obviously do all this audio stuff. But I think what I'm going to do, um, I have a couple, actually I have five boxes over there. One, two, three, six, five, whatever, um, of prize packs already gifted or already uh, boxed up and, and I'm going to be giving them away. There's a lot of cool stuff in there. Two are from Patreon people. So all you have to do is just be a Patreon supporter and you're going to get a prize pack and there's like a shirt and you know, a bunch of stuff, right? You're in a uh, raffle for
2: one. You don't have, you,
0: it's, yes. it's not everybody. Not, a, no, yeah, everybody gets one. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pick and choose and it'll probably be on the Christmas show, uh, which is like in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I want to do a giveaway on social media for everybody else, probably three prize packs there. And I think one of those is going to be, and you guys, uh, you know, listening live, or listening, you know, back to this, you can send an email too, if you want, or uh, you can leave a voicemail on the, um, on the John, on the, um, what is it called? Website. Yeah. You can go to our website, you okay. Yeah. And leave a voicemail if you want. And I want to hear a, I want to hear a, a Christmas story that involves Disneyland or a Disney trip or something like that. Give me, give me some sort of content in, uh, around that. What's a good Christmas memory you have or excuse me, a scary Christmas movie or a uh, Christmas memory. Or funny Christmas memory or something like that involving the parks in some capacity. And if you want to send me an email through there too, you can just do that as well. But if you want to leave a voicemail, that'd be fine too. But uh, the best one of those, and we're going to put this on social also. So people can, you can just write it on, you know, uh, leave a, a comment underneath the social post, but, and then we'll pick, you know, two or three of those winners and cool. some stuff. So it'd be fun. So be sure to check that out.
2: It's good stuff. It's, it's like it's ears up vintage.
0: Yes, that's cool. right. Yeah. It's a couple of <laughs> stuff from our hundredth episode and, you know, stuff, the books. We yeah. like stuff, yeah, yeah and things, and things. Mm, you know, before, I'm not before sure I get things. to before I get to the show, uh, Jeremy and I were talking on um, on in depth, and I had put this to the uh, to the Discord uh, a couple of days ago, but I had a thought experiment for everybody, and I want to run it by you guys. I want to get your opinion on this. My thought is so Hall of Presidents in Disney World. Let's pretend they got rid of it. Okay. My 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 feeling, my vibe. It that's not long for this earth. So why don't we help the company out now Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and plan what would go there? What should be in Hall of Presidents in Disney World that doesn't exist yet? Okay. My thing is something with Sam the Eagle. Some Muppets kind of thing. I think that would be cool. Um, a few people in Discord had some really cool ideas. Maybe we should pull oh, those, yeah. Up. Yeah. Do do those up.
1: Yeah. While you're bringing those up, yeah, I saw that question earlier this week, and it, it just suddenly it clicked. And I haven't listened to in depth yet. I'm I'm a a couple of days behind on things, but um, the outside of the Hall of Presidents, there used to be fairly recently. There used to be a Muppets show about american history i think you retool the muppets show to draw people inside and do your your muppets history show um do it bigger than they used to do it because watching that uh, watching the muppets do american history outside in liberty square i i remember i was so excited to see it and we walked through and one was starting and i turned around and my wife said why are you crying <laughs> Like, it's wow. so good. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I look forward to listening to your take on the Muppets thing. I don't want to, like, steal your, your Muppets idea. But do the, do the puppet show outside to draw people into the Hall of Presidents. Sure. And then have a, because, bigger, a bigger show.
0: Yeah. I don't have the show planned out, by the way. It's just literally Sam the Eagle. At the, and that's it. I don't know. You chip. I love Chip. You know, Pepe, the king prawn, like, well, you know. Oh, of course. What else? Yeah. You know, the classic, the hitter, the heavy hitters.
1: Right. You know, yeah, have the, them tell the stories of various things and
0: yeah. Yeah, because you, you know, Hall of Presidents, like, you can't really, I don't know. I feel like that sort of level of patriotism doesn't really resonate anymore with a lot of people. And I think you need to switch it up.
2: So I have a thought.
0: Uh-oh.
2: At. Disneyland, of course, we don't have Hall of Presidents, the show. Uh we have Abe Lincoln, right? Sure. So you want to replace it with something similar to that. Like where it's a it's a it's an animatronic human historical figure.
1: Sure. Do you? Because
2: I think people so. don't go to that yeah um that is true Except
1: for like me and dan i don't know that's true but- i go to it because i i like being
0: in there but i don't like okay. the show yeah the show is thoroughly boring it is yeah but i mean i would rather be in history class taking notes than listening to this like <laughs> you know patriotic music i just don't it's not my i don't know
2: yeah um, what if it was instead of the Hall of Presidents, instead of Abraham Lincoln, it's along the same lines, but it's Martin Luther King Jr. doing his I have a dream speech.
1: That would that would be.
2: I think it makes perfect sense.
0: That would that would spark a war <laughs> like this country has ever seen before. There's no way I don't a civil war, perhaps <laughs> Yeah, maybe brother might fight against cousin.
2: I don't know that it would. I mean, he's a pretty commonly known. I mean, it's it's
0: commonly known, but I, there are there's a section of people who would be who would not enjoy that, and I feel like they live. In they all area. live. They all yeah. live there. <laughs> so, yeah. I, you know, I don't Maybe. know. Hmm. I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. Yeah. You know what? We can we can come back to it if you guys want.
1: We can we can mothball the, the, yeah. the very elaborate statues of presidents. And it, that's why putting cartoon characters, well, the puppet characters in there is less crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that, anyway, I think they're putting get, a major American figure.
0: Yeah. Again, again and again. Um, I think uh, Hall of Presidents should 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 be on the short list to get rid of. I, I just I don't know. That whole thing, I just...
2: Oh, I agree with you. That, that, that needs to go. It, it does. It needs to go. It's too controversial. The American presidential presidents are, experience. Are, are, are too controversial That's right. these days. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> um, okay. You know what? Let's do... We're going to do toads. We're going to do toads, Let's and do. then we're going to go because uh, the drink we
1: have to make uh, is fairly complicated. Uh-oh. Eric, I mean, I haven't made any coffee for it. Have you? Uh, I have leftover coffee from this morning. Enough to. What? Taryn, get a load of this guy. He has leftover <laughs> I coffee.
2: I've never even heard of, of that. You know, I, sometimes I
1: leave before I finish the pot and then I have to make more coffee at work. Hmm. That's basically it. Yeah. Why
2: don't you get a to-go cup?
1: Yeah, or a thermos is what it's also a, a called. T- no, no, no. I yeah. bring a thermos of coffee to work. But I have coffee at home and then I fill my thermos, and there's usually enough coffee left to make this particular drink.
0: Okay. Mm. Well, hey, look, that's, man. It's very precise. Okay. It, it sounds really precise. And I, that's what I really appreciate. All right. Okay. All right, Mr. Toads. Well, you know, I, what I'm realizing when researching Mr. Toads' wild ride history is you can't talk about Mr. Toads' wild ride without talking about the man responsible for the direction of it all, Mr. Bill Martin. Bill Martin left 20th Century Fox in 1953 to help Walt create the Disneyland park. He was an art director and set designer. So as you can imagine, these skills were highly useful in manifesting Walt's vision of Disneyland. Dick Irvine was the man who brought Bill over to Walt Disney studios. And in the lead up to actual construction of the park, Bill toured many theme parks on the East coast to dig up inspiration. Fairmount park in Philly, Palisades Park in Jersey and other parks in New Orleans, Cincinnati, etc. Bill was part of that original Wed group with names like Harper, Goff, Bill Cottrell around him. They had offices above the Main Street City Hall when the park opened, which kind of makes more sense as to why Walt's apartment was located on the other side of that building. This I didn't know. There were Hmm. there were Wed office buildings above City Hall.
2: That's the dream. That's, that's the, the dream, dream is, yeah. is not only do you work for WED, but you work in Disneyland. Your
0: office is, is the park. Yeah. Yeah. Mean, which made sense because the park, you know, uh, admittedly wasn't finished when mm-hmm. it opened. Right. And everybody knew that. And Walt knew that it wasn't a secret. Right. So what better place are you going to? And every Saturday, Walt would go with the heads of each of the areas and do a park walkthrough before the park opened and say, what can we do better? How can we expand this every week? Yeah. So it's, you know, of course, they're going to be on
2: site. And office space wise, that was either amazing or absolute trash. (laughs) Well, considering
0: Walt lived down the hall, (laughs) essentially, you know, because you have City Hall and then you got the bathrooms or whatever. And then there's a firehouse. Right. So you have your offices
1: and then a a, a hallway and then Walt's (laughs) apartment. And it's all forced perspective. So it's it's also a little smaller. Maybe I haven't been (laughs) up there, but (laughs) isn't it smaller? it's small it looks
0: small that apartment is very small (laughs) i don't know what's up there now i should ask what's up there now but um probably storage you know no one wigs it's the wig department can can you imagine being the dude who has the office it's my office now you know it's like everyone would be so mad at you oh yeah (laughs) but anyway i thought that was fascinating i didn't know that i had no idea that there were offices you know right you know right there Originally named as the set director for Fantasyland, seemingly back when Walt was still looking at this park as more of a movie set than what it morphed into. But after opening day, Walt knew he needed someone to manage his future expansion ideas. So Bill went on to supervise the park's expansion over the next decade. He later became vice president of design for Walt Disney World and was responsible for so many improvements and additions to the parks. He was in charge of the master layout of the Magic Kingdom, He did the track layouts for basically all fantasy rides, the mine train through nature's wonderland. And it was actually his idea for not only the mine train, but as well as the donkey ride, which Walt loved. He was a big fan of the donkey ride. And Bill worked (laughs) on the small storefronts that used to be in the mine train area that are now part of that last leg of big thunder. You know, we were coasting into disembark, the saloon and whatever, and you can hear all those things. That was Bill's Bill worked on those. Mm. bill did the layout for the pirates of the caribbean and haunted mansion tracks both of those he mm. he laid out bill contributed to uh, bear Country somehow i'm not really entirely sure on that uh he did the layout for the submarine ride for the motorboat ride for the monorail he was responsible for weaving the monorail through the uh, Autopia area doing that whole layout he was responsible for the matterhorn layout chicken of the sea pirate ship Uh, And then in researching this, I learned that the mermaid on the bow of that ship was based off of Tinkerbell, which I don't know if we, it seems like something we we should have talked about before, but I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, He laid out the track for the storybook canal boats. He did the waterworks for Swiss family Treehouse, and on and on and on. And Bill was just an indispensable part of the team and did so much of the basics and the foundations for, Disneyland and those like classic attractions. Bill had a lot of ideas for adding little fun attractions into Disneyland. He once wanted to put what's called a camera obscura at the top of Sleeping Beauty Castle, but apparently there wasn't enough light for the camera to work.
2: Mm, too bad.
0: Dating back to, do you guys know what a camera obscura is?
2: It's like a hidden camera?
0: No. I mean, I'll tell you, but I just didn't know.
1: Well, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's some sort of optical effect inside a building. and um, yes. Dating back
0: yeah. to at least the 1600s, camera obscuras are basically a pinhole camera that you would use to view a solar eclipse without burning your retinas out. Uh. The name comes from the Latin words for dark, which is obscura, and room, which is camera. In the 1700s and 1800s, the camera obscura was also a useful accessory for the wealthy taking the grand tour of like Italy or whatever to make drawings of landscapes or classical ruins. The camera would project a reversed image of whatever it was pointed at, and that would allow artists to essentially trace a landscape. And there are actually some art historians who think more than a few master painters like Rembrandt and Vermeer use this technique to bring an extra layer of detail to their paintings. Maybe it's cheating. I don't know. But the camera obscura is is only (laughs) focusing and reflecting light and not capturing it. The next big leap was when the, uh, in the 1800s was to combine a device like a camera obscura with a material that would alter when exposed to the light and would then preserve the image. So it's the earliest um, camera.
2: Wow. It
0: was based off of this. The image is so cool they want to try to capture that and that's why you see you know a lot of like victorian era or early era uh photographers with their head over the camera yeah under the blanket it's because you need darkened room to get the light just right you need uh too much light
1: will kill your view and it'll just it'll ruin the image okay it, this ties in perfectly with the uh, the window that I'm not allowed to talk about tonight. Uh, George K. Winn, it, I'm sorry. <laughs> it, now, literally, it there's a Camera Obscura thing with nice. the window.
0: Well, you know what? If we have time, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it.
1: Okay, yeah. If we have time, otherwise we'll save it for another time and everybody will know about Camera Obscura and I don't have to talk about what that means again. There you go. Now, <laughs> I
0: wasn't sure what function this Camera Obscura would serve way at the top of the castle, but I did find out there's a camera obscura in San Francisco. It's actually like a really mm. famous landmark. That's been there for over a hundred years. The San Francisco camera obscura projects an image onto a horizontal viewing table via a reflected image from a viewpoint at the top of the building, um, uh, which is on the, um, at the cliff house, the old cliff house. Oh,
2: there. Okay.
0: So it was there in like the mm-hmm. early 1900s Then the cliff house burned down and it was rebuilt in 1906, whatever. Um, A metal hood in the cupola at the top of the building slowly rotates, makes a full revolution in about six minutes, allowing for a 360 degree view around the building. Light enters the building via an angled mirror in the metal hood. It then passes through a lens and is projected onto a parabolic white table in a black room. So this camera would be constantly rotating atop the castle, showing folks down at the bottom in a dark room, basically an aerial view of the park.
1: Wow. Okay. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to interject here because literally George Whitney Jr. who has a window on main street owned that building.
0: What building? The cliff house,
1: with the camera obscura <laughs> and the cliff's house. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. What? Man, look at I us. had No idea. This was getting into where you're going. Yeah. But neither did I. But yeah. And we'll the, talk about it someday.
0: Yeah. And these are the things it has nothing to do with toad, <laughs> you know, it has barely has anything to do with bill Martin, but it's like his idea. But I thought it was so fascinating. Imagine yeah. going to the castle now and you go into a room, which maybe presumably is that um, uh, maybe the handicap viewing room. If you don't want to go through the thing, M- maybe you're just in there and you see just this rotating like view of the park. I think that'd be so amazing. That'd be really, That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the castle, Bill gave an interview years ago where he reflected on why he liked working with Walt so much and uh, vice versa. And this was a little Walt interaction that I thought was pretty funny. It's like a a couple long quotes from Bill here. So bear with me. He says, quote, we were walking back to the animation building from Bob Matley's. Matley was a, a special effects guy at Disneyland. So maybe his office or something. And Walt says to me, you know, Evan Earl thinks that the castle turrets should be different colors. Orange and black and pink and red and purple and yellow. What do you think about that? I said that they should all be blue like slate. He said, I think you're right. A lot of the guys who had worked with Walt a long time didn't want to make decisions until they had gotten input from him somehow. I came from Fox Studios, and when they asked me a question there, I told them what I thought. So I did that when I went to work for Disney. I guess Walt appreciated some outside thinking. I remember a time when this one guy was working on some ideas for Fantasyland. See, you, you can always tell when a story's never going to go well. Oh, yeah. This one guy. This
2: one guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, This one guy was working on some ideas for Fantasyland, and I was in the meeting when he was showing these marvelous drawings to Walt. Walt was there looking at them, and Dick Irvine and myself were there. I don't remember if John Hench was there or not. When this guy got all through explaining his stuff, he said to Walt, quote, you know, if you can't do it this way, I don't know how you're going to do it. Walt didn't say a word. The next day, the guy was gone. Walt didn't, oh, no. Walt didn't like that hard sell <laughs> kind of talk. Walt appreciated flexibility from his people, and he usually knew in the back of his mind what he wanted. He um, just, if you can't do it this way, brother, I don't know how it's going to get done. Peace. Gone. Wow. Deuced. Yep. I want to know who that was and where they went to, because yeah. what a good story. I got fired <laughs> from Walt Disney for trying to hard sell my ideas.
2: Yeah. No. Well, not thinking outside the box enough. Or Walt.
0: Yeah, not being open enough to Walt's ideas. Yeah. And that's all, you know, that's all I think Walt wanted. Here's my idea. If you can have a better idea, I want to hear it. Mm-hmm. If not, yeah. then that's do fair. what I want to do, which is totally fair. I mean, he he's the boss. He's the money guy. <laughs> you know? On opening day, Bill was one of the people who actually lowered the drawbridge to signify the opening of the park or whatever it was, It's right? a big deal. It's a huge, yeah, I mean, it's kind of neat, right? <laughs> they did that like twice. Yeah. yeah. So here's a, here's a, here's like two paragraph quote from, uh, from Bill telling the story. It's a fascinating story. On opening day, I hung around inside the castle. I was one of the guys that helped raise and lower the drawbridge by hand. The show started and the ABC cameras came down Main Street and up to the bridge. We raised the portcullis and lowered the drawbridge and all the Disney characters went running out into the hub. I was back there inside the castle off camera. We had quite a scare at the beginning. I think it was the day before. There was a small gas leak somewhere under the castle and there were a few little blue flames along the base of the structure in the courtyard opposite Merlin's magic shop. You know, the park was built (laughs) so fast that they laid down a lot of cable and pipes without records. And the guy that found them later was Bill Evans when he went to plant the trees and bushes with his backhoe. This was the day when the press was all around and they were hoping to get this problem on film. I guess they wanted to see Sleeping Beauty Castle go up in smoke. The reporters were there and one of the cameramen even was up on a big ladder. The park publicity people were pleading with the reporters and cameramen not to take a picture if a fire started. That would have been traumatic just before the grand opening. Then I came strolling along through the side entrance and up the walk. And I was smoking a pipe at the time. I had no idea what was going on inside of there. <laughs> All of a sudden, the fire chief came running out of the castle, took me by the arm and ran me down to the hub. He was afraid I was going to blow up the place. <laughs> oh, my know. gosh. So nobody told nobody told Bill Evans where the gas lines were. He's just there doing his backhoe things, planting trees, you know, doing the landscaping stuff, which is what he was doing busts a gas main there's blue flames shooting at the outside of the castle they're trying to fix it here comes bill martin just smoking a pipe going what's up boy
2: wow
1: (laughs) oh no that was great man what a good
0: story as
2: bad as things were on opening day it could have been worse
0: it could have not happened yeah yeah
2: you burned down the castle and you don't have a park no
1: wasn't there but wasn't there a gas leak on in Tomorrowland on opening day. Oh, maybe.
2: I believe it. We should
1: do an opening day show. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> to anchor
0: Fantasyland, Walt already had Snow White and Peter Pan rides planned, and Toads was the third ride that Walt wanted. Toads was loosely based off the Disney adaptation of the Wind in the Willows book. The ride puts the guest in the place of Mr. Toad as he is overcome with motor mania, which is a very real thing and not one. And and it's one that we should all be afraid of. We shouldn't take this lightly, this motor mania thing, guys. I'm I'm serious. (laughs) The interesting thing about Toads that separates it from other fantasy rides is that it isn't really like the source material at all. The ending specifically is not in the 1949 movie version, nor the book it was based on. It was completely fabricated. Another point of interest is that when Toad's opened, it had the least amount of 3D figures of its Fantasyland counterparts. Snow White and Peter Pan both were packed with figures, while Toad relied mostly on 2D plywood painting. It was just a a budget thing at that point. Walt chose the specific scene elements of the Toad book to be in the ride that he wanted. The rest were added in later based on how much room they would have in the show building, which is already very small to begin with. When the ride first opened, everything inside was simple stage scenery, which played to Bill Martin's strength, right? Like set dressing, like you would see in a play. Two-dimensional paintings that were basically meant to be seen from one direction only. But since most of it was painted for blacklight, you only ended up seeing what they wanted you to see, so they were able to really control uh, what you saw. It was a great way to do it. It was a cheap way to do it as well. And sometimes you come across pictures of the inside of that ride before it was redone, and the art looks sort of odd and I don't know, kind of weird. You are like it was this Disney quality stuff, but uh, the guests wouldn't have seen it that way. They would have seen it with a black light. So it it was a very different experience. Black lights were a new feature that no other rides were really using in the parks uh, the Imagineers went to. So these three dark rides of Toad, Pan, and Snow were the first real sort of dark rides as we know them today. In the past, there weren't really, they didn't have black lights. They weren't trying to use these sort of special effects. They were just dark rides. but. Bill Martin and the team sort of created this vibe. Now, now we think of dark rides as having black lights.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, guests waiting in line were treated to the confusing lyrics of the Merrily song and the enthusiastic voice <laughs> of Mr. Toad himself provided by Eric Blore, the voice actor from the film. So that was a nice touch. And he beckoned all to come along with him on his travels. He says, come along, hop up on here. We'll go for a jolly ride. Beaufort Road, the dusty highway. Come, I'll show you the world. Travel, change, excitement. Sounds like Yoda. Travel, change, excitement.
2: Well, and so (laughs) what's interesting is you said that, that it doesn't follow the movie. So when I've, the first probably five times I went on this ride, Um, and I've probably been on it eight in my life. Um, (laughs) what I did not even know that there was a movie. I had no idea what this ride was. It was just the ride that you go on because everything else is too busy. Right. Um, (laughs) but that said, it's interesting that not only is it not really based on the movie, which is also confusing, it is also just completely made up. But it doesn't make any sense anyway. Like they, they took something that, that was hard to follow and they made it even harder to follow, and then they were like, "It's a ride."
0: <laughs> yeah, um, you know what they didn't do like with Snow White because you know, following the movie doesn't right. work well. I mean, look at look at the Snow White ride. I think Pinocchio's yeah. journey did that too. Um, Pan is sort of similar to Toads, where it doesn't really follow the book or the movie at all. You know, there's like there's pieces that in that ride that aren't included right Mm -hmm. but uh it just it doesn't end up working well because you can't cram all of that in a minute and a half long ride which is what these are right yeah like toads i think i say later it's like 98 seconds oh wow seconds yeah so it's not that it's not that long Mm. so you have to do something to make it thrilling you know a little bit more thrilling than than you know than the actual movie
2: it's just the weirdest ride it's at Disneyland. Absolutely. It's so weird.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, yeah. Toad started off as a roller coaster concept ride. The cars would follow a downhill track towards obstacles like parked cars that would move out of the way at the last minute. Walt thought this kind of thing would be a bit too scary for small kids and, quote, the elderly. <laughs> so they toned it down a bit. So okay. probably talking about U-turn. Yep. Uh, however, according to Bill, going through the devil's mouth into hell was just fine by Walt. <laughs>
2: right. So no, that's perfectly fine for children and yeah, the elderly. elderly. Yeah.
0: Hey, this is where you're going to be in about five years, Gramps. <laughs> yeah.
2: Don't worry about it. it. Now,
0: which is funny because, you know, there's a lot of people online going like, oh, I don't know. Walt, go through hell. What kind of ride is this for Disneyland? Whatever. Yeah, Walt said that was great. He thought it was awesome. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> I think it's awesome. He's think,
2: also a weird guy. He's also
0: weird. Of course. <laughs> As the show buildings were being constructed or at least assembled, I'm a little bit unclear about this. Uh, what, what I read and what I think happened is that the show buildings for Fantasyland specifically were purchased from a company and then brought to the park and assembled. And then the ride, while, the, while this was happening, the ride was being mocked up on a soundstage in Burbank. The show buildings were prefabbed Sixty foot by hundred foot metal buildings, either made by a company called Soleil or Bill misspoke in this interview, and they're just called Sole buildings. I couldn't really tell, huh. but they're just big metal rectangles. Plop them down. There you go. And Pretty I, much, yeah. yeah. And I think that just that just uh, you know showcases the time constraint that they were under. Where it's like we don't have time to build these. Let's buy them and bring them in. Yeah. The original Fantasyland featured canvas tent facades attached to the outside of each of the buildings and Toads was no exception. So you look at these older pictures, um, you know, up until 83 and just they look like like a medieval jousting tent. Yeah. They look weird, honestly. But it, I guess it kind of fits, you know, the vibe of the, of the time or whatever. I
2: guess,
1: yeah. yeah. And it's cheap and easy to do. Right.
0: Yeah, there, I mean, there can be, yeah, you attach these canvas tents to the, there you go. In planning the ride, storyboards were made from numerous watchings of the Disney film. Ken, Ken Anderson, who was art director for many Disney films, and Claude Coates were the two in charge of really solidifying the scenes uh, and what they would contain. Claude had a credit on the Toad movie for color styling, so his experience in this area really helped to transfer that same feeling of the cartoon over to the ride, specifically in like the painted murals and the loading areas or uh, just the way the characters uh, looked in the ride. Also, Mary Blair was credited with color styling as well on this movie. And I think yeah. you can kind of see that in specifically in the, the, the mural that they put uh, in the loading, which did, wasn't there, I guess, for opening, but later on. The ride vehicles and the ride system itself were stock items made by Aero Development. And Bill only had three pieces of information to work with in designing this track layout. So they're going, okay, we're going with Aero this is this is what you have to work with design me a ride before you have all the information here's what he had (laughs) he had the minimum turning radius of the cars which was four feet and he had the overall (laughs) length of ride time which was a minute 38 seconds and he had the overall building square footage that's it using these three data points he was able to lay the track down set the main scenes that Walt and him would want. And then Claude and Ken would come in later and add the smaller points and, you know, whatever, right? Wow. Yeah. And the reason Toad is so twisty and turny is because of Peter Pan next door. That ride was built first. So it took the long portion of this rectangular show building. It takes the most of that show building, which left a very small footprint for Toad. So they had to really maximize the space that they had to figure out how to make this ride tell a story with a four foot turning
1: radius
0: in a minute and
1: a <laughs> Wow. And it makes it feel so fast while you're spinning around these little corners. Yes. Yeah, a four foot turning radius is really tight. <laughs> yeah. It's scary fast. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> the ride was designed to eat up uh, 700 people an hour. Only nine cars were able to fit in the ride itself. With three out front to load guests at any given time, each entering Toad Hall every
2: eleven seconds.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. Seems like a long time. I don't know. You
2: know what I mean? Eleven seconds?
0: Yeah. Each yeah, eleven seconds. So you have eleven seconds to like load the car empty the car, load the car, and then shoot it out. I don't know. Doesn't it sound like a long time? No, it sounds
2: short short time. Really? Yeah. It sounds like like to get people out and get people in.
1: Like what's Space Mountain? (laughs) Who knows? I don't know. I mean, that, that's pretty tight over there or like Big Thunder Mountain where, yeah, you, you want it to be tight because you only have so much space. It's the same thing. You only have so much space to do it. But in a ride like this, you can slow things down. It's, it's not quite the same as Pirates of the Caribbean, where you can just <laughs> pile up a bunch of people at the bottom of the right. reverse waterfall. Because, I
0: mean, each, um, you know, each each car has like, what four people, two. And there's a lot of pictures I see of like two people in these cars.
2: In the, yeah. in the olden yeah. days, it was, it was definitely two. Yeah.
0: In the olden yeah. days.
2: The olden days.
0: Bruce Bushman designed the cars for Toad, and they were some of the very first pieces of equipment to actually even be delivered to Disneyland, which is kind of a neat little thing. They were designed to tilt backwards slightly in order to help that crazy feeling of the ride by shifting your perspective a bit while on it. Okay. This also allows that small guide wheel in the front to ride a single rail on the floor. Each vehicle has a one-quarter horsepower electric motor drawing power from the rail beneath its wheels the cars are all named individually as mr toad mcbadger Molly, and ratty with two each named toady cyril winky and weasel <laughs> various gags and plusings have been added over the years starting in 1961. here we have added doorways more cops uh, revised figures and in the 1983 fantasyland revamp The entrance to the ride changed completely. Guests entered a recreation of Toad Hall, passing by artistic works commemorating characters from the film. A large mural shows the adventures of Toad and his motor car, pre-shadowing various scenes in the ride. Disembodied voices sing the Merrily song, but it's more like the song from the version in the film. Now the cars crash through the fireplace in the beginning instead of simply drive it past it in uh, in the earlier version. Uh, The breakaway doors were a big addition in 1961 as well. And that's one of the things that I really remember when I think about this ride is, you know, you're going to doors doors open at the last second, you know, these these kind of sight gags, right? Yeah, for sure. And they they added a lot of the stuff they were able to because they knew way more about what they were doing and how to build a ride that was exciting at this point before they didn't really know what they were doing. But now it's like, oh, we could add this and that would be a good gag. And now that everything's here, I think it's settled in. And then now we know what we're working with. Like the cops in the ride, they were put in there to add a little bit of level of excitement. Like you're fleeing the police, right? Since we're supposed to have broken out of prison. So we should be probably being chased somehow. So they got the, the cops there. Uh, additional character flats of Molly and McBadger and a human butler in Toad Hall, as well as Ratty in front of one of the painted storefronts in the village scene and a handful of new police officers, including one on a motorcycle. Uh, like I said, new crash doors and uh, these being a construction barricade located in the village street, multiple breakaway flats of stacked crates and kegs in the warehouse, uh, fully sculpted devils and red rock in the hell scene replaced the original flat 2D plywood painting. Then you have the great fantasy rebuild of 1983. The tent entrance to Toad was done away with and a much more stately looking manor appeared in its place. Now, Toad Hall looked at the park and gave guests not only more cool theming to look at, but a larger loading area as well. When Disney World opened in Orlando, Florida in 1971, a new version of the ride debuted with dual tracks offering slightly different experiences, but still the same core experience. Friend of the show, Rolly Crump, was asked to design this ride, and it was his idea to not only split the rides and have two running at the same time to eat more people but it was his idea to make each one of them different. So you never knew which one you were going to get. That's cool. Yeah.
1: It's very Rolly. It's
0: very Rolly, right? Like, well, I don't know. <laughs> well, Rolly, don't you think people are going to want to know? Whatever. I don't know. No, no, no.
1: I, no, I want to be confused when they get out of the line. Yeah. This
0: will be fun for me. <laughs> I don't, who cares? Unlike its Disneyland counterpart, it never received the Toad Manor makeover and visitors to Florida were subjected to a boxier kind of tournament tent looking facade, painted with really gross shades of purple. They left track, uh, the left track featured such scenes as Toad's Trophy Room, a kitchen, a gypsy camp, and Winky's Tavern, with a clever beer mug gag and weasels hiding among the barrels, and the rain room. The right track featured such scenes as Toad's li- uh, Toad's Library, a barnyard with animals and chickens scattering through the air, a policeman signaling you to stop, a courtroom where the policeman is now the judge, it just sounds exactly normal. <laughs> uh, a jail with weasels in the cells and a standoff between weasels and the police. Both tracks come together in a town square with both tracks circling it, but never crossing. Both tracks have their own train tunnels and their own separate entrances to hell. And, but uh, at that point it's, they're both the same. So both versions of hell are the same, but they each have their own independent one. Right. News of the Disney world rides, potential closure first leaked in 1997 when inside sources revealed to the Orlando Sentinel that the Florida park was planning to replace it with a Winnie the Pooh ride. To many guests, this would not have come as, as a surprise. Disney was known to close old rides to make room for new ones that appealed to younger generations of visitors. The Winnie the Pooh franchise had been kept alive, um, whereas the Wind in the Willows, to Terrence Point, shortly was largely unknown to kids raised during Disney renaissance of like what the 80s and 90s and stuff. Despite this, the threat to the ride struck a chord with certain guests. One day after the rumor broke, the website Savetoad.com went live. It implored, actually, is it still up? Let's see.
2: What year uh, was this? It's
1: archived on. It's archived. Um, it, because the guy who started the site works for uh, Miami University. There it is. And it's archived on his site. I may have uh, it is, read about this a lot. It is
0: awesome. It, the, so you've got to save toad.com and redirects to math.miami.edu. There you go. And it is awesome. <laughs> it says we tried to save Mr. Toad's wild ride, but Eisner doesn't care about you. Bang.
1: <laughs> you need to read this site. It's so good. If you dude. haven't, if you haven't listened to the, the Supreme Resorts Halloween episode and heard about the story of Jeff Moscott, the, the, the main guy behind all of these efforts, you need to go there. He he's a he's a hero. This is the first time somebody went on the internet and said we need to rally and show up and try to get Disney to change things. We need to be there on the last day. They had so many cast members on their side by the end. Oh God! Yeah, and Disney dug in their heels. I, I yeah. I listen, wow.
0: listen. I'm gonna go through it a little yeah. bit. But what was uh, the yeah, website? Savetoad.com. Mm.
1: yeah just search for it you'll find yeah. it just
0: go to Savetoad.com. yeah uh in implored visitors to contact disney with demands to save the ride i mean and this man has every single contact point of contact telephone and snail mail for like the entire board for all the important people marty sklar everybody oh, wow. just everybody he's like call these people but be nice but call them postcards pre-addressed to the company were made available to download Fans, how progressive for 1997. Yeah. Just download this postcard, man. Fans could order t-shirts depicting a dead J Thaddeus Toad on the front and a message on the back reading, ask me why Mickey is killing Mr. Toad. Wow. The online campaign eventually spilled into the real world. In May 1998, a plane flew over Disney World, dragging a banner that said, save Mr. Toad's wild ride next to the park president's phone number. Devote old Al Weiss. Devotees of the ride who branded themselves toadies hosted something called Toad Ends in the Magic Kingdom to express their discontent. The crowds never grew beyond a few dozen people, but the protesters who did show up were passionate. In response to, the, in, response to the, in response to the in response to the article, Jeff and a University of Miami student, started a Save Toad website. Through the new media of internet discussion groups and fan websites, the campaign captured the imagination of Toad's loyal fans. As many as 50 t-shirt wearing fans would attend weekly Toad-ins at the Magic Kingdom. Here's a sample from Mr. Toad appears to be Roadkill, an AP Press article by Mike Schneider on Tuesday, uh, September 1st, 1998. He says, Despite protests, despite the green shirts saying, Ask me why Mickey is killing Mr. Toad, despite hundreds of pleading postcards and letters mailed to Disney officials, Mr. Toad appears to be roadkill. A year-long internet and mail campaign to persuade Walt Disney World to keep Mr. Toad wild ride apparently wasn't enough, or so say Mr. Toad's champions, who claim the ride will be closed forever September 8th and replaced with a Winnie the Pooh attraction. The Save the Toad campaign is a strange twist on a David versus Goliath fight with a group of admittedly obsessive fans challenging the nation's ever-present unremittingly Remittedly cheery entertainment. I can't read that word for some reason. Quote Anyone who would be so nuts to challenge Disney and waste a whole year obviously has some issues, concedes Toad Booster Jeff Moscott, 26 of Miami.
1: Wow. <laughs> this guy. Yeah.
0: yeah. Me and my followers are nuts. So says I. <laughs> um, he was a uh, systems administrator and film student behind Savetoad.com. Uh, He said, uh, he told the Associated Press that it's a nice break from the happy singing flowers. Not that bland Disney hero with the too funny sidekick. He's nuts. He steals cars, but he's a good guy. (laughs) When Disneyland Paris opened in 1992, guests found a Toad Hall similar to the full-size Toad Hall at Disneyland. But this wasn't a ride. It was and still is a counter service restaurant. In keeping with Mr. Toad's setting in England, the restaurant features English fish and chips. And, and that's basically it. But back to the ending of the ride, after you're found guilty of, you know, having motor mania or whatever, and you presumably escape jail, you're, you're racing around, you're hit by a train, you get distracted, <laughs> you go through a train tunnel and you get hit head on by a train and then you get sent to hell and then the ride ends and that's it.
2: Lesson learned.
0: Yeah. And despite this being pretty clear cut, many people online still wonder if Toad is meant to die at the end of that ride. Because you're in the car, you're Toad, right? This is just what a lot of those rides are, right? So you're Toad, you get hit by a train and then you're out. Are you, did you, did you escape hell? Some people go, Oh, it must've been a dream. I, I, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that this kid, this, this is one of the only rides I can think of where you die as the ending of the ride. It's probably the only one, probably the only one in existence. I'm just going to well, say Well, right you
2: now. also don't die yeah. and like go to a good place. You, yeah, you die and you go to hell. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Because it's, you, um, because you what? Like, because you ran through a pub, you, you made some people, you broke some <laughs> barrels. Like, geez, man.
1: Well, all I can tell you is I distinctly remember the first time I rode this ride. I still remember being in that car with my sister and heading toward that train and us screaming. And it was, <laughs> it, it left, this is at Walt Disney world. And it left such an indelible impression on us. And we realized that it, that this is why I have such a devotion to this ride, because I, I remember it so well. And there are so many other things that uh, other people cling to the, the stuff from their childhood. Sure. Like pe- people talk about horizons at Epcot or whatever. For me, it's Mr. Toad. Interesting. And when I went to Disneyland for the first time in 2016, I'm like, they still have a Mr. Toad. We've got to go. <laughs> and my wife's like, why? What was that? I'm like, <sighs> it wasn't as good as Walt Disney World, but it, 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 it oh, sure. It scratches that itch. Sure. It scratches that itch. I
0: read, I read a story um, on Reddit today in preparing for the show where this, this lady was, um, she was sharing a story about her child and I I forget the age of this kid. I think she was like five or six and she was, you know, she started getting into YouTube and getting into like stories about parks. And she was obsessed for some reason with Mr. Toad because they go to Disney world all the time and she didn't know that there was even a toad ride. And she's like, Oh wow, that would have been so cool. And every time they go to Disney world, they go, she brings up toad. Then they decided to go to Disneyland. And this little girl's like, oh my God, we can ride toad now. This is going to be amazing. And Apparently this kid would not shut up, yammering nonstop like kids do about how excited that she was. You can go to toad. It's going to be amazing. They ride toad. The kid is freaking out and just loving everything <laughs> until they got to hell. And the ride was over oh, no. and the mom looks at the child and she's like, Hey, do you want to ride again? And the kid's like, no, oh. never talked about toad again. That was it. That killed toad for this little girl is the actual, the actual thing that she loved. Never meet your, your heroes.
1: Yeah. Well, and oh, so
2: as you were kind of going through the history of it, um, just now I was looking at Dave land, just going through the old photos, just kind of looking yeah. through it. Yeah. And there's a whole section that says that's hell. That it's just photos of the hell section, and I I started scrolling over to those, and my first thought was like, there is no way in hell that Alice (laughs) would ever be able to go on this ride. No, no, she would freak out. Didn't we take her when we went when she was like two? I haven't been on that ride in so long. No, no,
0: No. yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. It's it's a lot. Walt's worried about the the elderly, you know. Yeah,
1: but like, I think it's that's so interesting. Yeah. And I mean, we're, we're, we're Christian folk. We grown up to, uh, to, to respect and fear hell, but still the, the bizarre nature of getting hit by a train and going to hell and just the, it was all just such weird fun. And then you found out that the other side was different. And there was a part of the ride where if the cast members timed it right, the cars almost hit each other. (laughs) Like that's the way it was designed. Rolly designed it with those two tracks. You're were, there were two times where the, the cars almost went head on. It was wow. just amazing. That's wild. And uh yeah, I don't know. As a scared Christian child, I um <laughs> still somehow enjoyed this ride so much.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean ultimately, you know, it's
1: fake. Well, yeah, we knew it's just a ride at Disney World. Oh, yeah, like, the ride too.
0: Come on. I had to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, okay. That is the history of Mister Toad's Wild Ride, everybody. That was that? a wild oh, ride. Great. Like I said, there's not a, a ton of information because it's basically since 1983, it's sort of just been the same.
2: Yeah, well, but that's all you need. And even before that, they didn't even change it much.
0: Yeah, I mean, they added like new gags and then like some figures, but I, but I think that's what lends to the charm. Yeah, those plywood flats, you know, just like just like the Pooh ride, kind of in uh, in Carter Country for the most part. That's why I like those. That's why I like that ride. Yeah, it's not complicated. It's they- low it's low tech. Yeah.
2: And one wh- one thing that you you touched on very briefly but I wanted to bring up is the queue for that ride. Post 1983 is actually pretty cool. It's awesome. It's yeah, it's, it's shaded. It's actually like standing in that line if if you have to is actually kind of pretty. Mm-hmm. It's a like really it. nice part of the park. Yeah. And there's like the statues and the the like um I don't know what they're called when it's like like a statue but on a wall like um, a wall statue, a, a wall think.
1: bust, wall. a bar relief. Well, yeah, it's know. like
2: a wall bust, but it's just like, a, it's, it's like a, I don't know. Anyway, if you go there, you'll see it, but <laughs> yeah. um, it's cool. I yeah. Like it. Yeah.
0: Um, okay. Let's do this. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back. Eric is going to get his window out of the way. or I'm never going to hear anything. Uh, uh, he never hear the end of
1: it. I can save it for another time. I don't know. Um,
0: no, because I got to take a break. I'm got to come back and do something. Okay. So, Let's do that. We'll come back. We'll do the window. We'll get out of here and then we'll jump over to the secret show. Do some news. So hang on, everyone. It's ears up. We'll be right back.
2: And now back to the show that ignites your dream wish of imaginations and magical color wonderment
0: of forever. Hey, Thanks for sticking around, everybody. We are going to do Eric's window. Um, but first I want to say you know what shout out to Jimmy. Jimmy was out here I think a couple of days ago for work or something. And um, he went to the 21st Amendment in oh, San Francisco. Nice. Five, Good for six, him. 563 Second Street. So if you want to be like Jimmy and you want to be cool when you come out to the San Francisco <laughs> Bay Area go and visit the 21st Amendment brewery right there on 563 Second Street right near the Giants Park, AT Park Giants Stadium whatever it is. And if you can't get if you can't get across that bridge Uh, which is probably like a million dollars across now.
2: (laughs) Something like that. Yeah.
0: Don't worry about it. You can go to the one in San Leandro as well. They have a beer garden, uh, cheese curds are there and uh, (sighs) a big giant brew house. I think you'll probably get a tour there too. It's a great place. The 21st Amendment makes incredible beer and they're great people serving you awesome seasonal and year round favorites like hell or high watermelon, hell or high mango, uh, back in black if you can find it which is a black ipa which is probably the only the one of the only black ipas that i like
1: i haven't seen yeah. very many at all lately other than that yeah
0: no it went away Don't and, they- and even even back in black went seasonal mm. because it's just not really like in demand anymore which is mm-hmm. fine because a lot of people it's okay
2: here we go soapbox <laughs> beer rant
0: yeah um <laughs> it's like pumpkin beers you people not a lot of people make them well they can be made well, and so they're not popular when they're around. Mm. But the people who make them well make them well. That's okay. what I think about about back in black and black and and black IPAs in general, where it's like fair. Yeah, I mean, I, I maybe I may I I know for a fact twenty first amendments right there, and I maybe have had one more that was pretty good. The rest is like ugh, this is not. <clears throat> I don't. I don't. It's the 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 dark malt. With the hops, sometimes clashes a lot of That's a clashes. lot of
1: yeah.
2: I was Is trying it? to remember something the other day. Don't they have like a pomegranate beer?
0: They yeah, Hell or High Pomegranate, I think. I oh, okay, am. so
2: that must be coming out soon or I out so. or something. Oh uh, yeah, pomegranate's a now kind of t- fruit. Not now, but right now. Like right now.
0: Hell yeah! Looking forward to it, and you can too. So anyway, check them out. Twenty First Amendment. Ask wherever you find good craft beer. Ask for the 2 and a if you haven't uh, haven't tried any yet, and it, uh, um, it'll do you right. All right, Eric, what window do you got?
1: We've got George K. Whitney Jr. this time. George was born in 1922. He was the son of one of the Whitney brothers. Oh, sure, yeah. Everyone yeah, you know the that. Whitney brothers. Oh. And actually, you might as we go on here. Uh-oh. The Whitney Uh-oh. brothers were George Care Whitney um, and uh, L- Uncle Leo Whitney. Uh, so George was born to George Care Whitney Sr. and Ava Charlotte Whitney. Mom came from Australia um, and uh, yeah, they all met in they all met in Australia. Dad and uncle moved to Australia during World War One and ran some amusement parks down there. Uh, that's kind of how they got their start in park operations. So this is a, this is a parks family. Uh, They developed several processes for running amusement parks. They developed some photo processes that helped, that helped them, you know, kind of expand what, what they did at their parks, a lot of revolutionary things. Uh, They moved back to America and opened up, Playland at the beach along Ocean Beach, which is apparently the name of a well-known beach in the San Francisco area. That's right. It is. And it's very
2: cold in Ocean Beach. Yes, oh, it's okay. not It's not like it's a not, beach that you think about.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's a northern beach. Basically, yeah. Well, uh, Playland, uh, let's see, George Sr. said... Playland is a nickel and dime business and will do as well as long as people have nickels and dimes in their pockets. Um, George Jr. said we did pretty well during the during the Depression. Good, clean, fun diversion.
2: All right. So I guess people did have nickels and dimes.
1: They did. Uh, George Sr. claims that bingo was invented at Playland. I don't have a lot to corroborate that, but this comes from an interview with George Jr.
2: To okay. the happiness of seniors everywhere. Exactly. Bingo,
1: um, and uh, yeah, during the World War II years, George Senior said, "Playland did a fantastic business. Sailors had plenty of nickels and dimes."
0: <laughs> well, it's true. See, so I just googled "bingo invented," and the first thing that comes up said it is said bingo origins can be traced back to 1530.
1: Yeah, a lottery yeah probably known not. as
0: log. Loguigio del Lotto d'Italia, which is the Italian lotto, <laughs> the original name of bingo. Wow. Oh, that's great. So now, now I hate bingo.
2: Well, uh, look, everybody's got to pretend like they invented something. Yeah. In the
0: right. early 20s, Hugh J. Ward first came up with the concept of bingo in Pittsburgh and began running the game at carnivals in the early 1920s, taking it nationwide in 1924. He secured a copyright on the game and wrote a book of bingo rules in 1933.
1: Well, don't let Huge Ward tell that to George <laughs> Sr. <laughs> they they yeah. eventually, the uh, the Whitneys eventually bought the Sutro Baths Museum. Oh, wow, okay. And the Cliff House properties in San Francisco. All right. I see San Francisco people nodding their heads because they know what these are. Yes. Yes.
2: The Cliff House is a very, very famous restaurant or maybe was actually, I feel like it got sold very recently.
0: It it, it got sold, it closed down and then they said it was going to open, but I don't know anymore.
2: It's very richy, expensive, fancy place. Yeah, but it,
0: it overlooks the ocean. It's like right on the edge. The sutra baths are right below it, uh, old bathhouse, And, uh, you can go and like explore the ruins basically. And, uh, that's the closest thing we have to ruins out here is an old bathhouse.
2: I want to say there's a famous scene too in some movie or show that ends there.
0: There's a lot of things that happen there. Yeah. It's very, yeah, it's very, uh, very famous in this area for
1: sure. Excellent. Well, I'm glad I I basically wrote that like these people will know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yes. They'll fill in the blanks. Well, uh, George Jr., before Disney, went to the University of Washington and San Francisco State University. He joined the Army Air Corps in World War II. He was an engineer and an armament specialist. Sure. Following the war, he managed rides and games for Playland. So he went back to the family business.
2: All right. Good for him.
1: Yeah. So he eventually ended up getting hired by Walt Disney when Walt went up to Playland and said, this is one of the, pl- this- he's going around finding other amusement parks and saying, here are the things that I want to do. He hired George because he knew how to handle operations. So in the early 1950s, he came out to Playland, met George Sr., met George Jr., Jr. impressed Disney, hired him on as the seventh employee of Disneyland. Wow. wow. He was the only member of Disney's original team who had practical amusement park experience. <laughs> wow. Uh, famously Walt Disney didn't want to make an amusement park. He hated amusement right. parks apparently, but he needed somebody who actually knew how to make like lines and things that, that people would walk to.
0: Yeah. It's like, he knew that he could make a better amusement park, but, but just by making it look like a movie set. Right. Yeah. That's all, you know, that's all, but you, you need to run the thing first before you can change the thing.
2: Yeah. Sure. Yeah.
1: And so George joined the team um, he had a very high opinion of Walt Disney throughout his life. He really enjoyed working there. He he loved working with the other designers on Disneyland, and he was particularly proud of maximizing the passenger flow of the Adventureland uh, boat ride at Disneyland, as he called it, so the Jungle Cruise. Mm. And he planned lots of attraction queues, entrances, exits, that kind of thing in Fantasyland and around the rest of Around the rest of the park. That was oh. his thing. He knew how to get people to go to the places and keep people flow working. Nice. Now, he only worked for Disney from 1954 to ni- 1958 as the theme park's director of ride operations. After he left Disney, he took some Disneyland ideas back to the Whitney parks. So he went <laughs> back course. to the family business. There you go. He, he, created, he changed some old Dark Rides to new Dark Rides and uh, basically worked for the company for years as, as the company kind of devolved. He, he and his sister ended up inheriting most of the company when his, his parents died and his uncle died. And she sold a chunk of the company and he ended up losing Playland. But he kept a hold on the Sutro Baths and the Cliff Houses he ended up buying some other attractions nearby, like the Camera Obscura.
2: All right. So, there you go.
1: Owned the Camera Obscura. It, it, it existed before before he purchased purchased it, but he yeah. updated the facade, added all of these, these signs saying, come see the giant camera. Um, he updated the Sky Tram that was apparently near there and added some waterfalls and other things for people to look at. So he was very... Very proud of what he did with the family business, even though part of it had been sold out from underneath him. Eventually, he went on to work at World's Fairs in Seattle. Uh, So the World's Fair in Seattle as Century 21's Concessions and Amusement Division Director. This is a World's Fair that Walt went up to visit in the 60s to kind of see what they were doing. He was impressed at how many visitors the World's Fairs would pull through. And uh, he, Walt described the fair as pretty nice, but too small. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Why not? All right. Um, and uh, George went on to be a World's Fair consultant in Montreal, Brussels, and Osaka for their World's Fairs, and he designed the 1960s Squaw Valley Olympics.
0: Well, there you go, man. Traveling the world, designing stuff,
1: and designing yeah, behind, basically. oh yeah. He sold off the remaining um, Sutro Baths and Cliff House and beach, other beach properties in 1972 for $6.5 million in 1972. That's a lot. Wow. That's a lot Good of money. Good Lord, that's a lot. Yeah. He spent the rest of his life, he left the valley and never went back and traveled the world and eventually settled near the Whitney Brothers' original hometown of Friday Harbor, Washington. He died on September 25th, 2002, after a long illness in that town. He is survived by two children and several grandchildren. Now, George's window on Main Street is right above the Market House. And it reads, George Whitney, George, abbreviated GEO, period. George Whitney, guns. Guns. Okay. It's been there since the park opened. But
0: why guns? It's been there since the park opened. Was, was he the first window?
1: He was one of the first windows.
0: I, I you know, and since we started doing this, I, I guess I forgot or maybe I didn't really know or understand that that the windows are I thought they were relatively
2: recent in the Yeah, I didn't know that they were,
1: I, and they were that I, old. I don't see proof that it was there in 1955, but it was okay. one of the earliest, and it could have been there at the park open. Um, Dave land has a few pictures. We can take one of Dave's. We can look through Dave's shots, but yeah, it's, it's basically like, well, we think it was there when the park opened Hmm. just as kind of a tongue in cheek. Like this guy built the park. He, one of the people who built the park, let's put up a window, but
0: there's two two names on this park, Walt Disney and mine,
1: but yeah, why guns? So a part that I left out, George jr. Created the golden gate NRA in 1972. That's, that's, that's wrong. The Golden Gate NRA is a national recreation area, a beautiful and protected national park spanning 82,000 acres. No, it's because he was an armament specialist in World War II, and they probably joked around about guns. I don't really know. The man was in charge of guns in World War II. <laughs> what a what like a, a childlike
0: fascination with things that go bang. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna, I can
1: write. Literally
0: anything, probably on this window. Nobody would ever know. (laughs) Guns. Guns. That's just
1: what was on his mind. Just guns. (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. A a lot of this came from uh, outsidelands.org. Look up this website if you want to read a lengthy interview with one of the men who designed Disneyland. This is a website that is uh, dedicated, it's an old website that is dedicated to the history of San Francisco's Richmond Sunset OMI and west of tr- West of Twin Peaks districts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Uh, but the city has a lot of like segmented areas like,
0: for being seven square miles by seven <laughs> square miles. It's a lot of a a lot yeah. of different
1: neighborhoods. man. And there's a lot of oh, yeah. cultural
2: differences between them for being seven miles. Oh, like God, it's wild. Yeah.
1: And it's cool. They did an interview with this man in 2002. Like. Right before he died. Let's see. So September 6th, 2002 is when they did the interview and he died. I already lost it. Um, September 25th. What? Wow. Before he died. These people, so these people killed him. Yes, they killed him with a three hour interview. Jeez. I, I almost did that to Josh Freeze. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: but yeah, I don't Ch- think about it still. I don't think about it constantly.
1: Uh, or Roly. Yeah. Well, yeah, that too. I did, yeah, probably kill him rolling. Yeah. You probably did. But yeah, I contributed. Check, check it out. Um, yeah, it, it, it's one of those bizarre windows where you go, Guns? Why guns? <laughs> and uh, that's George K. Whitney Jr., uh, who good. had more experience with um, it, amusement parks and guns than we'll ever have. That's true. That's probably <laughs> true. Very good. I appreciate it. Eric. Thank you.
2: Yeah, that was great. And honestly, <laughs> I have this newfound um, fascination with the Sutro Baths because I, I, I've i lived in San Francisco. I've never been there and I didn't I didn't if, know anything about it. If you and want to read more, wild.
1: there are many pages on on uh outla- dot org that can I'm tell sure. you more about the Sutro Baths and the camera obscura and the cliffs houses. And it's, yeah,
0: it's so weird doing these shows and like really trying to pull out good information because you, you sort of go down rabbit holes. And one of the ones that I I just remembered now, um, I posted in discord when I was doing research for my show about the, the prefabricated building Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the sole or whatever. Um, it, it it led me down this path to to find out that the first fabricated buildings in California came from China. It was during the gold rush when the Chinese immigrants were coming over and they realized there were so many people coming to California, they just didn't have places to stay. Mm-hmm. So they would order prefabbed houses, shacks basically shipped over from China. And they were just like interlock, um, you know, uh, planks of wood. They were just interlocked together and they would just stand up and they were shacks or whatever. So like the gold rush brought in this. So I don't know. I just, I wow. crazy. It's interesting. Right. Where it's like, yeah, man that is going to china and importing stuff is just it's old it is not (laughs) anything new it is not anything that you can't point to one president and say they started this or whatever this is just this is how it's been i don't know i thought it was very very interesting yeah all right we are gonna get out of here everybody we're gonna have uh we're gonna pop over to the secret show if you are listening uh live right now that link is in patreon already if you're not listening live you can go to patreon and uh, watch the video if you want but you can just you know get the podcast or whatever too that'll be up you know soon whenever sure. uh, three things to do now three pods to, to edit but anyways that's beside the point thank you everybody for tuning in i appreciate it thank you to sully at the 21st amendment for being uh, uh the guy who makes the good beers you know what i'm trying to say
1: absolutely um, yeah
0: anyway thanks a lot buddy we'll see you